Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Amen. Okay, so we have been tracking um, in this uh, section of the book of Acts, kind of journey has been the theme during this time, and we're going to finish up this section today, take a little bit of a break for a few weeks, and then pick up the rest of the book of Acts um, in the fall. And so uh, today we're talking on the theme of um, walking forward when it's hard. Anybody ever have that kind of moment where things have gotten difficult and you're like, but I know I still need to move forward. Uh, This time of year, this is just insight into me and maybe our family dynamic a little bit. This time of year gets a little um, uh, gray for me uh, for a couple of reasons. There's some real light and good stuff that's happened. And then there's some just kind of sadness that that walks over because on July 1st uh, was when things kind of went sideways uh, with our youngest daughter and uh, some of the challenges that we faced five years ago. And at the same time, just yesterday, we celebrated 10 years with our oldest daughter being in our family and being a part of it. It's incredible. All the things that God did. Um, I distinctly remember those two episodes. Uh, uh, two very different things happened. One, uh, our youngest one got sick. If you weren't around for that season, our youngest one got sick and really sick. It was really, really rough there for a while. And all that we could do as a family, uh, all that I could do as a, as a man... Uh, was just to figure out, God, is there a step that I can take? Like, is there one step? I, I can't take five steps. I, I know I can't. But is, is there one step that I have to take? Um, the, the, so that kind of stuff kind of comes your way. And some of you maybe are at that point now, or you've been at that point recently, where stuff has kind of come crashing over you, and you think to yourself, I'm not sure I'm going to make this. But if I can, it's going to be one step at a time. So I'm just going to look for one step. That's all I'm going to do is just for one step. And then um, with with our older daughter, uh, you know, there were things that we uh, specifically chose to do with her and and chose in the pursuit of all of that. And then there were some really hard things that happened. And probably the hardest part, if you follow my wife on Facebook, she's been posting about this recently. Part of the, the hardest part was waiting. Just the waiting and over and over and over again, there was this process that just kept getting stalled and stalled and stalled and stalled and stalled. And there are times when you're like, I don't think I can do any more. In fact, we hit that wall where like, I don't think I can do anymore. And I distinctly remember this. I was ironing my shirt. Like that's how intense the memory is. I was ironing my shirt going, God, I don't think we can pull this off. Like, I don't think we can take one more step as we wait. I don't think we can. And that little voice, anybody ever have that little voice? You don't have to be ironing a shirt, but sometimes it happens that way. Ironing a shirt, little voice. You're not going to stand before me one day and say you ran out of patience in waiting on this, right? No, sir, I'm not. I'll just keep going. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that. Um, so, and then th- that was the thing that kept us going was, hey, Jesus, we're not going to stand before you and say we got tired of waiting. No, 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 no. We'll stand before you for a lot of other things, but not that. And so, Maybe, just maybe, you're at a place where uh, some of the choices that you made have made your path hard or difficult. So sometimes things come our way, they're hard. Sometimes the choices that we make uh, make our path or is the path that, that is difficult. So either way for you, I want to talk today about how to walk forward um, when it's hard and use this text here um, to get us going. Uh, the, the difficulty here um, for, for Paul and for some of you is not so much, hey, this is just a want to, but it's I have to do this. For Paul in particular, he is finishing his third missionary journey where he's planted these churches and been a part of uh, God doing some amazing things. And he has done a collection of kind of mercy money uh, for the church in Jerusalem and in, in the Middle East there. 
And so he's taking that collection back to that area. And so he's got a, a significant resource that he has to deliver. Like that is his step of obedience. Some of you have some things in your life where you're like, I just, I have to do this. I don't have another option. Whether it's come your way or whether the choice that you've made has put you on a difficult road, you don't have another option. And I have to do this. So that's kind of what we get into. And I just want to describe a little bit of the hardship. We're actually going to start in verse, chapter 20, verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. So this is the Ephesian elders from last week, people that he had invested in significantly. Verse 37, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. So for the, just to start and do this description here, it was hard for Paul. It was emotionally hard for Paul. Anybody have that? Even this week, um, I did two funerals this week. Some of us, uh, some of the folks who were there are in the room right now. Uh, there are times when I, I'll go six months and not do two funerals. I did two this week. And seeing families walk through the difficulty of saying goodbye to lovers, it is emotionally hard. Here for Paul, same thing, where they are, they are sending him off and he said, looks like I'm probably not going to see you again. And the emotional impact of that. Some of you have had that in your lives where you have had to say, to, you have had to say goodbye to someone. It was emotionally hard. Or maybe there's something else going on where you're just not sure that you can make it emotionally. Um, the, the second uh, uh, way that this difficulty shows up is starting in chapter 21, verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, um, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When he had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, for there the ship was, un, um, uh, was to unload its cargo. Now, why did I point all that out? I simply say this. Some of you, you hear those places, Cyprus, Phoenicia, Tyre, and you think, huh, an Eastern Mediterranean cruise. Like, that's really... This is not that, okay? They're like going to a port. Is there a ship going anywhere close to where we're going? Oh, is there a ship? Okay, how are we going to pay for it? Is there going to be food on board? There's no server asking you if you want the lobster or the steak. It is physically difficult for them to get from one place to the other. And that's some of the challenge is that it was not only emotionally hard leaving these people that he loved and had invested in, but it was a physically difficult trip. Some of you are at a place where you are facing some physical difficulties, did anybody see the video that popped up this week uh, about the Coast Guard guys jumping onto the submarine? Dude, like, come on. Like, you got this, I, this guy, he's just sitting around having a good day. And then they're like, hey, we see a guy, or we see some folks trying to smuggle narcotics into the country. Let's go get them. Oh, they're on a semi-submersible submarine. Huh, well... So the guy, they go out there and they're yelling at him in really bad Spanish to stop the boat. And of course, they don't stop the boat. And so they get close enough where this cat jumps from his Coast Guard raft to the submarine, to a moving submarine out of the Pacific. I just see, and then he goes banging on the door. And of course, there's guns drawn and all sorts of stuff that happens. Like, I just think, huh, I had an interesting week last week. <laughs> but I didn't have that. And some of you, I mean, some of you, listen, that's what your life feels like. Like, I've got to make a very difficult leap here. And it is a physically difficult circumstance. Um, that's not all. Because for some it's emotional, some it's physical. Verse 4, 
having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Um, uh, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So in God's name, they were saying, hey, don't go. Uh, when our days there were ended, we departed, went on our journey. They all, with wives and children, accompanied us um, and, uh, until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And he went on board the ship and they returned home. Some of you, it's kind of spiritually difficult. Um, they, they were saying to Paul, there was, sometimes it's encouragement from fellow believers. Sometimes you're like, oh man, are you sure? Like you want to do this? Um, they were saying to Paul, hey, don't, don't do this. Don't do it. The, the encouragement that he got was, don't go. Don't go. And yet Paul had this burden of obedience to say, I have to go. This is not a want to. This is a have to. This is like, I don't have any other options. To do anything else would be disobedient to God. And some of you are facing that, and it feels like a very lonely moment. We'll talk about that in just a second. And sometimes it is. But so you feel like a very lonely moment where you're like, I understand that all of you want me to go this way. I'm telling you that in God's name, I have to go this way. So emotionally hard, physically hard, spiritually hard. I want to just put a little graphic up that may help uh, you process this. If, if you were to take those three gauges for your life, where, where would you kind of put the arrow? <laughs> how would you describe yourself? You go to lunch and you're sitting down and you, y'all talk about it. How would you describe kind of your emotional uh, tank right now? Your physical tank right now? Your spiritual tank right now. Place one here and one here and one kind of in the middle. Or how would that work out for you? If you're not sure how to even go about processing that, just some questions. They're actually going to pop up on the screen. Don't worry about writing them down. You can just grab your phone and snap a picture if you want to. Just ponder this though. Um, where are you most challenged right now? In the relational realm, excuse me, in the emotional realm, the physical realm, and the spiritual realm. Where are you most challenged right now? Um, where are you feeling most empty right now? Where does it, which of those gauges feels like it's, it's running most on empty? And then thirdly, where are you feeling most committed right now? I I have to do this thing, whether it be physically difficult, emotionally difficult, spiritually difficult, this task, whatever it may be. Those are questions to ponder. The reason why I wanted to set up the rest of the sermon that way is because depending upon how you measure each of those three areas is going to, is, uh, is going to um, uh, determine how you respond to what's about to um, fall out here in, in the text. So if you can have a kind of a clear picture or at least a, a semi-clear picture of that, then you can hear what God's about to say to us um, in, a, in a way that would be most helpful. So do a little diagnostic. Now, what do we learn? If, question, if those are the questions, and you can kind of get a sense of your gauge, how difficult it is, how Paul experienced those difficulties too, how do we walk forward with this? How do we walk forward? What are some lessons learned? There's four. Give them to you quickly. Number one, don't be surprised when it gets hard. That, that's the first lesson. How do you walk forward when it's hard? First of all, don't be surprised when it gets hard. Paul here was not surprised that it was going to be difficult in Jerusalem. In fact, this whole section of Acts, what have we seen? Paul goes somewhere, he preaches the gospel, people come to know Jesus, and what happens immediately after? Something bad. He gets run out of town, chapter 13. 
Um, uh, Paul goes to these other areas, preaches the gospel, and then he gets stones thrown at him. Chapter 14, Paul comes back to Jerusalem and to the, uh, the church there and reports of all the good things that God has done while he's been out preaching the gospel and seeing God do amazing things. And they have a church fight. Chapter 15, Paul in chapter 16 goes to various places, ultimately lands in prison, gets beaten almost half to death and lands in prison where he shares the gospel with the jailer. Chapter 16, chapter 17, he goes to any number of places and he gets run out of town all along the way. That's 17. Chapter 18, lather, rinse, repeat. is exact. He preaches the gospel in these places and then he gets shoved out of town. Chapter 19, he preaches the gospel in Ephesus, sees God do some amazing things and then a riot happens. I mean, don't be surprised when it gets hard in this life. The world is a broken and jacked up place. We, as inhabitants of the broken and jacked up place, are also broken and jacked up. Therefore, don't be surprised when it gets hard. That's what I would say. Um, and I, I, we're going to bounce back and forth between Acts and 1 Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 <coughs> excuse me, says this. And I love that he uses that first word, beloved. Not like, hey, knuckleheads. or like He's trying to be very tender. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. As though something strange was happening to you. Don't be surprised. Anybody who describes for you or tries to sell you a version of Christianity that doesn't have brokenness and suffering and hardship as a major component of of that version of Christianity is the Ford dealer who drives a Chevy. Don't buy from that guy, okay? Anybody who tries to say, hey, Christianity is good for you and you'll be better because of it, healthier, wealthier, wiser, and all that kind of, don't buy it. Essential to the message of Christianity is suffering. Can we just be clear about something? We follow a guy who, because he continually spoke truth to power, or as they would say, it shot his mouth off, in their rage, they were drunk on their own bitterness and jealousy. They crucified the guy that we say is the savior of the world. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that it gets hard in this life. We live in a broken world, and we're broken people living in a broken world. And don't be sold a bill of goods that says anything else. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, you're you're not alone in this. You're not. Paul here um, specifically talks about the people that he was sailing with. He's got all, hey, we're in this, hey, we went down here, we went down. Um, in verse 4, uh, they sought out the disciples, so he's, and on and on and on. It, later in the chapter, you will read, they go to different people's houses, they stop here, they stop here, they stop. You're not alone in this. You're not alone. When it gets hard, the temptation is to think that you're the only one going through this. Um, but that is not the case. Paul went through stuff and he had people around him walking with him through that. Um, other people have gone through things. You in this room, you've gone through things and you see, hey, I'm not the only one who goes. It, it is a lie from the enemy to think th- that you do. But we'll talk more about him in just a second. Let, let's listen to the truth first. This is First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Resist the devil. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the entire world, throughout the whole world. So, like, you're not the only one. Oh, I'm the only one who's ever experienced it. No, you're not. No, you're not. 
I mean, I don't want to be ugly here. You're not that special. Like genuinely, other people have gone through this also. They really have. Paul, who we're talking about, wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, no temptation. In, in, the, in the New Testament, temptation and trial are the exact same word. It's kind of two sides of the coin. No temptation or no trial has overtaken you. That is not, listen, that is not common to man. In other words, this is, this is a normal thing. God is faithful. Thankfully, he's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he's going to provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So you have this sense in which you're not the only person who's ever gone through the thing that you're going through. I know it's hard, but you're not alone in this. And the enemy comes along, and this is the devil's lie. It sounds something like this, and just see if this sounds familiar to you. Um, The devil's lie sounds like this. Hey, this really is only you. It really is. And then the questions begin to come. So tell me something. Why do you think this is only you? Like you're the only person going through this. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think God would let it be only you? What kind of God would let this kind of thing happen to you? That God must not love you very much. In fact, you can do better than that kind of God, can't you? A God who would let you go through these things, only you. I mean, you can do better than that kind of God, right? And then the, 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 the one that poisons you and those around you, um, he, he deserves your anger and your resentment and your frustration, don't you think? Now, some of you, that hits really close to home because... That's the voice that's in your ear. The, the devil does that kind of thing. You're the only one. Why are you the only one? Why would God let you be the only one? And on and on. Instead, think about these promises instead. Uh, 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 Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Ever. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The psalmist, David, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heights, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I wake, go to sleep, you're there. If I wake up, you're there. I can't go anywhere that God is not already there. Even when we run from God, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, and then the kid comes to his senses and turns around, and as soon as he turns towards home, what happens? The father sees him, has compassion on him, runs to him, flying tackle with kisses and hugs. You just, you, you don't run away from God. He's, you are not alone. You're not. And don't believe otherwise. Th- third lesson from this is that obedience can be costly. Can we pick up in verse 7? When he, that Paul, had finished the voyage uh, from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. Uh, we greeted the brothers, stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed. We came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the evangelist. We saw Philip in chapter 8 sharing with the Ethiopian. He was one of the seven, one of the original deacons, um, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, so they were involved in the ministry of the local church there. 
uh, uh, excuse me, verse 10. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, we've seen him already in chapter 11, so we're just kind of picking up some of these characters, uh, came down from Judah, excuse me, Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and says, this, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were uh, there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, said this, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I'm not only ready to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So obedience can be costly. Now for the record, it doesn't have to be. It's not always, but it can Agabus comes along, takes Paul's belt, binds, hey, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. And, 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 I mean, anybody ever had that moment where you're like, hey, man, thanks for the encouragement. I appreciate that. Like, it's hard enough to obey, but now you're like down on me here. Like, come on, man, give me something. But Agabus says, you're going to be bound, you're going to be delivered, uh, and you're ultimately going to be martyred. Guess what happened? Spoiler alert. Paul was bound. He was delivered of the Gentiles, and ultimately he was martyred, just like, just like he said. So um, it, it, is, it is difficult when, it is difficult, the, the level of difficulty in obedience um, is upped, if you will, when we have discouragement from our companions. He's already experienced some discouragement, but now even those close to him are like, dude, are you sure we got, you got to do this? And Paul, what does he say? Man, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart here. I have to do this. I have to do this. Uh, sometimes that kind of input comes to people from really good intentions. Hey, listen, I just want you to be careful about, and typically it's not the what that they address, but the how. Hey, just be careful about how you go about this. Um, so it comes with a good intention. Some people though are just, they're just discouragers. And they, that, what it comes across not like, hey, be careful about how. It comes across as, hey, why don't you just dial down the radical thing here? Like just Tone it down a notch or two. Paul's not going to have any of that. He's not going to have any of that. Okay? Uh, and um, I think what happens, the reason why we have to say out loud obedience can be costly, I think what happens in our mind um, in the West is that we, we tend to be formulaic in our approach to things. And so input over here equals output over here. And you kind of get the equation as it happens. Okay? And so in our lives, spiritually speaking, we obey add some stuff to it, whatever that is, some magic dust or whatever, and the outcome is good stuff happens. So we obey and we get blessed. We obey and we get blessed. Everybody kind of tracks along with that, that mindset. Here's the thing, um, like that's a real problem in some senses. And I'll just give you a couple of just practical examples. Um, uh, 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 train up a child in the way that you go, and in the end, you won't depart. In the end, he won't depart from it. Now, some of us take that as a promise. Hey, if I do a good job of parenting, in the end, they won't go stupid. <laughs> but the truth is, is that we can do a killer job parenting, and they still go stupid. And guess whose fault that is? It's not the parents. They went stupid all by themselves. They may have been held by marijuana or whatever. But they just went dumb. And that's on them. And that's a proverb, right? Like that's a description of how the world is supposed to work, how sometimes it does work. But then like reality is, is that it doesn't always work that way. Some people take it, they, in, in some of my circles, particularly Deuteronomy, 
the book of Deuteronomy, it's like full of promises. Like, oh, the Lord, if you obey, the Lord's going to bless you. If you obey, the Lord's going to bless you. If you obey, the Lord's going to bless you. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is like this, this testimony to God's willingness to bless his people and to put up with his people, but how the people can't live into that. Like, oh, well, if we, you, you put ourselves, oh, well, if I was back then, I would have been a better person. No, you wouldn't have. Like the whole book is the description of these people had these incredible promises of blessing and they continually screwed it up. Guess who else has great promises of blessing and continually screws it up? Anybody? Me? We all fit into that category. The whole book is about that, right? So I, I just... I don't know how else to best picture it than this little uh, picture right here. If you own this t-shirt, I'm not mad at you, okay? But in, in the West, we think like obedience, blessing. Obedience will lead to blessing. Hashtag blessed. Look at all the things. Hashtag blessed. And this is how the Bible talks about blessing as the New Testament continues to develop and as it is continually read, this is how the Bible talks about it, 1 Peter 4. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Hashtag blessed. So next time you see somebody with that shirt, you just roll up on it and go, oh man, you were insulted for the name of Christ. I think that's amazing. Like I'm going to pray for you and you continue to be a witness. I think it'd be fantastic. I know obedience is costly. My pastor just talked about this on Sunday. Let me know how that conversation goes. I want to hear a report. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And so where does the blessing come? In the middle of the insult and the persecution and the hardship. And the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So obedience can be costly. That's what we got to know. Okay? It's one of the lessons that we see. Um, The rest of the chapter, I won't read it all, but the rest of the chapter goes like this. Uh, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He cele- they celebrate all the good things that God has done. Um, and they say, hey, listen, but there's still some Jews who are really angry at you. And so uh, go to the temple, pay for these people um, who are fulfilling their vows. It's one way that you express that you're a good Jew. And that way that'll kind of settle the waters. Paul ultimately does that and gets arrested at the temple. Um, and, and that's what leads to this last point. We're, we won't read the rest of the chapter, but that's what leads to the last point. The fourth thing fourth lesson we learn is just to keep doing good. Keep doing good. How do you walk forward? You you, um, need need to know that you don't need to be surprised. You are not alone. The obedience that you are supposed to fulfill can be costly, but just no matter what, keep doing good. Keep doing good. Paul was intent on delivering this gift to Jerusalem. He did. He had all these consequences that came. He didn't seek any of them. It wasn't like he was just like jonesing to be a martyr or anything like that. Um, these things are just happened. Uh, sometimes our doing good, uh, this is why Paul went to the temple. Sometimes our doing good means accommodating others with our patience and sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. Paul did not start a boycott. Uh, Paul did not uh, pick a fight. Paul did not emphasize anything negative. In fact, he just went about doing good. Our day and age, we want to pick a fight or we want to start a boycott or we want to post about it on Facebook. Paul's like, all that's negative. Let's let's focus on what is good there. And sometimes doing good not only means accommodating others with our patience and sacrifice. Sometimes doing good means being a blessing even to those who curse you because, because, don't miss this, because you trust God so much. 1 Peter 4.19 says this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
You entrust their souls to the, like, God, I just trust you in the middle of this. Therefore, I'm going to keep doing good. That good may look like I'm going to be patient and sacrifice for the sake of others. That good may look like I'm going to bless those who curse me, which is ultimately where when we pick up in the fall, we'll see how Paul uh, does it. They just entrust themselves to God while doing good. No boycotts, no Facebook posts. Just continually trust God and do good. Um, I don't know of a better way to uh, describe this. Uh, this is bonus material. The 830 didn't get this, so consider yourself happy about that. Um, there was a, the, the bishop of Smyrna um, was named Polycarp, and he was a, a disciple of John uh, the Apostle. Um, and this, I just want to read this, an expression of this, entrusting themselves to a faith creator while doing good. Persecution against the Christians broke out there. And believers were being fed to the wild beasts in the arena. The crowd began to call for the Christian's leader named Polycarp. And so the authorities actually sent out a search party to bring him in. And they tortured two young boys to tell him where they were, where where he was, where Polycarp was. Friday afternoon, Polycarp was resting upstairs outside of the city in a country home. And they came in like a posse, fully armed, as if they were going to arrest a dangerous criminal instead of an 80-something-year-old man at the time. Polycarp's friends wanted to sneak him out, but he refused, saying, the will of the Lord be done, just like they did here. Uh, in, in one of the most touching instances of Christian grace, Polycarp welcomed his captors into his home, uh, talked with them, set food and drink before them, and then said, hey, before we go, can I just pray? And prayed for an hour. The officers overhearing his prayers began to have second thoughts. Were they, what were they doing to an old man like this? Uh, once they dragged him into town, despite the cries of the crowd, the Roman, Roman authorities saw the senselessness of making this aged man a martyr. So when Polycarp was brought into the arena, the proconsul, the leader of the uh, uh, Roman Empire there, said, if you curse Christ, I will release you. Polycarp replied, 86 years I've served him. He has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme the king who saved me? Feel the spiritual temperature just kind of entrust himself to a faith creator while doing good. The proconsul reached uh, for an acceptable way out and said this, then do this, old man, just swear by the spirit of the emperor and that will be sufficient. Um, If you imagine for a moment, Polycarp says, I would do that, then you pretend then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly. I am a Christian. More entreaties followed and Polycarp stood firm and the proconsul then turned to threats. I'll feed you to the wild beasts. Bring them forth. I would change my mind if it meant going from the worst to the better, but I will not change my mind to go from the right to the wrong. The proconsul said, I'm done here. I will have you burned alive. Polycarp replied, you threaten fire that burns for an hour and is over. The judgment on the ungodly is forever. (laughs) They tied him to a stake and burned him. They did. Obedience can be costly. But he kept entrusting himself to a faithful creator while doing good. I don't know what that means for you in your week. What I do know is that it probably means something. So I want to pray. And I want to ask for God just to let you apply that where it needs to be applied. And then we'll sing a song, be grateful for God's promises, and be dismissed. Okay, let's pray.